Good morning. We're going through a series this year on prayer. So if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Today, we're looking at Psalm 17. We've started this series by going through several of the Psalms, and we have a few more that we'll be looking at. Because the Psalms are the great book of prayers that the Holy Spirit has given to his people. We're taking some time, therefore, to think about what the Psalms have to teach us about praying. Now, from Psalm 17, which we just heard read, thank you, Cole, I want to suggest this morning that we reflect on this thought. We can confidently plead with our God in prayer when we are humble enough to trust in his salvation. That's a mouthful. Let's break it down a bit more. It takes faith to pray boldly. Let's pray. Gracious and merciful God, you who sent forth your prophets to give us hope when we had wandered away, you who sent your Son to draw us back, and you who sends your Spirit to call us forward, We ask that you would be present with us this morning as we think about praying boldly. Transform our identities. Send the power of your spirit afresh upon us. That even when we breathe, we would breathe according to your will. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Psalm 17, like so many of the Psalms, is a psalm attributed to David. And psalm 17 explicitly begins by saying that this is a prayer of David. And it is clear as we go through this psalm that David is facing trials and persecution. If you know anything about the story of David, you will know that for many years after he was anointed by Samuel to be king over Israel, there was a struggle between David and Saul. And indeed, Saul at some points sought to take David's life. Perhaps this is the kind of context that this sort of psalm calls up for us. David is praying because he's in the midst of persecution. Verses 9 through 12 in particular describe the plight that he faces. He is surrounded by wicked people. These are not just people who are saying nasty things about him. These are people who are seeking to destroy him. They're even hunting him 
like lions. Just like a lion hunts its prey, they are carefully watching him, waiting for an opportunity to pounce, hoping to bring him down. And in the midst of this situation of persecution, David cries out to the Lord in prayer. And as he does so, he pleads his case before the Lord, asking and believing that the Lord is the one who will vindicate him. David's prayer for vindication expresses, I want to suggest, both a kind of proper confidence, but also a kind of proper humility before God. Notice that throughout this prayer, David is incredibly bold. He pleads his case with confidence, urging God to listen to him. Why? Because his lips do not speak any deceit. Verse 1. He calls out further in verses 2 and also in verse 13 for God to rise up and vindicate him because he knows that God looks upon what is right. David is saying, in other words, that God should look upon him and upon his case because he's in the right. He is declaring his righteousness before God and anticipating that God who looks with blessing on what is right will look upon him and hear his case. Then in verses 6 through 7, he asks God to answer his prayer and show that he is indeed the God who loves and saves those who take refuge in him. This is a remarkable confidence. David is standing before his creator and declaring that he is righteous, that his cause is just, that he does not deserve the persecution that's coming upon him. He expresses this confidence in a series of petitions that are in fact rooted in his own confidence in God's own character. We have seen already from some earlier sermons in this series that one of the things we are called to do is to pray the promises that God has given right back to God himself. It is that kind of confidence that God is himself just and righteous and that God therefore looks upon those who are righteous and turns against those who speak deceitfully and scheme against others. It is that very confidence that drives David to make these petitions before God. Yet, in addition to this confidence, David also displays a certain kind of proper humility. A humility that runs right through this prayer. I suggest we can see this in at least two ways. First, it's clear throughout this prayer that David 
is refusing to take matters into his own hands. I don't know if you noticed this. As we went through the prayer, David is being persecuted. People are hunting him like lions, seeking to destroy him. But he does not take matters into his own hands. Instead, he turns in humility to the God who can actually vindicate him. David in this psalm relies entirely on God to act on his behalf. So there are some contrasts that run through the psalm. Unlike David's enemies, David refuses to scheme. He refuses to plan or even speak evil. David even opens himself to the Lord in verse 3 to be tested on this very point. Unlike those who are plotting against David, he chooses not to scheme and plot on his own in return. Instead, he throws himself upon God. He goes on to say in verse 4, he has refused to take bribes. He has not pursued violence. Surely this must mean that he has refused to avail himself of certain opportunities that he might have had. Opportunities to try and work the situation to his own advantage. Take a bribe. Placate those who are coming after you. Do what they want. You get some money or something good in return. Be violent with them. Go after them. Find a way to hunt them back, just like they are pursuing you. But David refuses to work the situation to his own advantage. Instead, in this prayer, he shows a certain kind of humility by throwing himself entirely into the hands of God. Look at verse 2. He says clearly his vindication, even perhaps his own judgment, must come from God alone. This is one way, then, that we see humility right there together with a certain kind of boldness and confidence as David prays to the Lord. But there's a second way that David's humility is evident. And this shows up at the very end of this prayer. In verses 14 through 15, David sets up yet another contrast. On the one hand, those who are seeking to destroy him, the wicked, are those who seek their rewards only in this life. They look for their rewards in this world. In fact, this is almost certainly why they're scheming the way they are. They've concluded that for them to advance in the world, to have the kind of status and power and money 
and everything else that they desire, they need to scheme. They need to plot. And what they most need to do is bring David down. He has to be eliminated and removed so that they can get the reward that they are seeking. But here's the contrast, and it's a bit subtle. David is prepared to accept that his own vindication and the very salvation that he is praying for may not come to him in this life. Notice what he says here in verse 15. As for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face when I awake. I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. This is a hope for salvation that directly contrasts with those in verse 14 who are looking for reward in this life. In other words, David is saying here that he accepts. Indeed, he knows that his vindication will come, but he accepts that that vindication may not ultimately come in this world. He unlike his enemies, does not seek his reward ultimately in this world, he is willing to accept that his reward will one day be the satisfaction of awaking and finding himself in the presence of his God, seeing his God face to face. That for David, is ultimate vindication. So David is bold to come before God. He is bold to plead his case before his Lord. He is confident that God will hear him. And he has complete faith that God will save him. And yet, together with that boldness, he is humble enough to accept that this vindication may not come in this world. That, sisters and brothers, requires a tremendous amount of faith to say that one trusts in what God has promised more than what one can grasp and grab here and now. And to say that in the face of people who are actively trying to destroy him is faith. But let's then take some time to reflect on what this might have to teach us and say to us today. How can we, 
join in this prayer. If, in fact, this is a prayer given to us by the Holy Spirit through the servant David, then this prayer continues to be a prayer that we are called to pray today. I think there are three lessons. First, we are called by this prayer to come boldly before our God when we pray. Boldness in prayer. And a certain kind of boldness at that. David is bold here to declare his righteousness before God. Did you catch that in the psalm? David says to the Lord, I am just. I am right. I do not speak deceit. I have not stumbled. I have followed your ways. He comes to God with that boldness and he claims that God, because he is the just judge, should act to vindicate his righteous children. That is a bold claim. But if David's boldness is merited, if he is right to be so bold, how much more true is it the case for us who are now declared to be righteous precisely because our Lord Jesus died, rose, and now intercedes before the Father on our behalf. If David can be so bold, how much more should we be bold to come before God and declare our righteousness? Precisely because our righteousness depends on that of our Lord Jesus. Now look, we can sometimes, I think, focus far too much on our sinfulness and our unworthiness. Don't get me wrong. There is plenty of space to reflect on one's sinfulness and unworthiness. There is an ongoing need for confession and repentance. No question about that. But there are times when we should be bold before our God. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we imagine that we cannot approach our God. How can we, in the midst of our sinfulness, come before the Holy One of Israel? What would that God want with us? There is a danger here, a danger that in wallowing in our sin, we do the very thing that prevents us from receiving the help and healing that we need. We refuse to go to God. In some ways, it's a story as old as Adam and Eve. Sin drives us away. Sometimes I think, too, about Ahaz 
when Isaiah went to Ahaz and said to Ahaz, you are not going to be defeated, Jerusalem will not fall, ask of the Lord, because the Lord has said, ask me for a sign. Ahaz said, oh no, I couldn't dare. How could I ask God for a sign? And yet, really, it's how dare us, how dare we not go when God says to come. Boldness, boldness in prayer. Yes, indeed, on our own, we cannot stand before this God. But we are not on our own. There are times when we need to accept that the Spirit of God has given us prayers like Psalm 17 and that we need to pray them. That is taking God seriously. That is taking the word of God as if it were more true than my own creatureliness and sinfulness. There are times when faith requires that we put more trust in what God says about who we are than in what those who scheme against us have to say about who we are. You may find yourself even now in a situation not so unlike that of David, perhaps in your workplace or among your friend group or somewhere else in your life. There are people actively scheming against you. You need to know that you can go boldly before God. He is the one who will vindicate you. But there are other voices that scheme against us. And sometimes those voices are not just false friends who are external to us and seek to bring us down. Sometimes those voices are the prowling lions in our own heads. The very voices that tell us, you have no right. Who do you think you are? God wants nothing to do with you. You know what you've done. How dare you? Those are the voices hell-bent on our destruction. And sometimes those are the very voices that we need to say no to. That we need to say, I am invited into the presence of my God because my brother is interceding for me right now. In the face of our enemies, in the face of our trials and temptations, the worst thing we can do is stay away from God. We are called boldly to go before the throne of grace, precisely so that there we find mercy to help us in our time of need.
But there's a second point. Our boldness is rooted in the knowledge that God truly saves and vindicates the righteous. God saves his people. David's prayer expresses the confidence that one day he will enter God's presence. But what David hoped for has been made for us all the more certain by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we see that God truly does vindicate his righteous ones. For this one, Jesus, who had no sin, and yet, like David, was hunted by wicked people, people who ultimately contributed to putting him to death, that Jesus saw vindication. That Jesus went to the grave, but he awoke. God raised him from the dead. The very thing that David only hopes for is a reality in the person of Jesus. In many ways, the Spirit's prayer to the Father through his servant David in Psalm 17 finds its fullest expression in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Our hope goes beyond the hope of David. Our confidence in the wonders of God's great love is not rooted only in our knowledge of God's character. It is also rooted in the very demonstration of that love and character, precisely in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Truly, we now know that God saves those who take refuge in him. A third point. Our boldness is rooted in the kind of faith that humbly depends on God for our salvation. We can indeed, we must have a proper confidence in prayer. But that confidence is itself entirely anchored in a proper humility. One that looks to God alone for vindication. It takes real faith to pray boldly. Not only because we need faith to accept that we can and must go boldly into God's presence, but also because such boldness must be willing to accept that God is the only one who can deal justly with us and with our enemies. There is a liberation. There is a freedom that comes when we realize that it is not our job to bring justice in our case. 
There is a freedom that comes when we no longer have to spend our time scheming and planning how to take other people down so that we can be elevated and lifted up. That is not our job. Our job is to depend on the one who knows and loves far more than we can even imagine and know that he will work in love in ways that will bring real justice and true vindication. Just as David illustrates in this psalm, and just as Jesus even more fully demonstrates, he went to the cross. He entrusted himself completely to the will of the Father, not fighting back, not calling down myriads of angels, not calling for fire to fall on his enemies. All things that would be well within his rights, but instead he demonstrated a complete willingness to humble himself before the Father and accept the will of the Father. In that same way, we must have the humility to allow God's vindication to come in God's own good time and in God's own good way. Our salvation is sure. It is certain. It is even more sure for us than it was for David, who had not seen the resurrection of the Lord. But when and how that salvation comes is entirely in the hands of our God. It is that which impart that humility that can allow us to pray boldly, to pray without fear, to accept that God knows what he is doing. Let us therefore, sisters and brothers, pray with a boldness that springs from faith for our God is faithful. Amen.